Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, Zach, I came back from vacation and, you know, man, spring has sprung. I mean, oh, yeah. it is pollen everywhere and my car is covered, And uh, but at least it's warm. Hey, it was I'll, pretty... I'll, I'll take that trade off. Yeah, yeah, warm weather, little pollen. Right. You can always... Clean lot, it off. lot of pollen. A lot of pollen. A lot of pollen. Yeah, you clean it off yeah. in the morning and it's back. No need in the to afternoon. clean off for about a month here. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yes. But anyway, beautiful weather though overall. <laughs> and uh, we got a little bit of sports going on. I mean, we got the uh, NCAA playoffs coming up. Um, That's right. Basketball. Yeah. Yeah. In a week or so. In about a week. Yeah. The Clemson's not in. The conference tournaments are happening now. And then I think there's a week break and then it starts up. And so, yeah, my alma mater, Marquette, which is. Not from around the southeast in the Midwest. No fans. Uh, they're ranked sixth this year nationally, so that's wow. big. Um, so I'm I'm eager to see how they do. They're one yeah. number one in the Big East, yeah. um, and so it's been a while since they've been pretty good. But uh, yeah, excited to see what they do. Yeah. But every year they, you know, yeah. I'm always afraid of that. The first round, they they play the school they should beat, and they right. they the favors with the. Uh, the underdog, typically. I don't know. That's how I always feel. But, yeah, that's going on. So that's big. Yeah, we got the Players' Championship going on uh, this week in golf. Um, so it's yes. going on right now. That's always fun down there in TPC Sawgrass. Um, great course. Where's so, that uh, it's, it's down in Florida, Florida Jacksonville, right. just south of Jacksonville. Yep, yep, yep. Good. But speaking of exciting, though, we have some great topics um, to talk about. One of them is um, we're going to talk about how to self-fund long-term care. I know that sounds inconceivable that you could self-fund your long-term care expenses, but there is a way to do it, you know? And yep. So we're going to talk about some strategies for self-funding long-term care, how to how to take care of those, you know, that long-term care burden that, you know, everybody talks about and uh, seems unattainable to, um, to fund, uh, you know, in retirement. So, yeah, that'll be good. And we'll also look at um, why do I owe taxes this year? So... Oftentimes we, you know, do what we can to prepare to not owe any taxes and we look for that refund. Sometimes we owe a lot and we're wondering why. And I think we'll, we'll get into it, but yeah, there's no magic reason. It's just math. Right. And uh, math. yeah, and so we'll get into that and in, in that article, but it's good. I'm looking forward yeah, to a good show here. It's a good topic. Yeah. It is that time of the year, tax time. That's right. Yeah, by the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 27 years experience in financial planning and investment advice. And I'm Zach Albanese, a financial advisor for over three years and been with Rich Young Associates for over two. So. Yeah, awesome. We're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. Our podcast are up every Friday morning. Um, you can check out our website, a lot of... Um, lot of resources there but you can link to our show right there or you can go through moneymd.net um which is our our website for the podcast here and uh listen to us anywhere in the world um so do check us out check out our website moneymd.net um where you can link to us send us your questions too we'd love to hear from you we will talk about those right here on the show that's right well zach we're gonna start off here with the financial fact of the week so according to Genworth Financial, the average cost of a private room in a nursing home is $108,000 per year. Yikes. 
Um, if you need, so if you need that, um, then the average stay for somebody in a nursing home or assisted living is about 2.2 years for men, 3.7 okay. years for women. Um, so combined assisted living, nursing home, you can expect, you know, two to three years. Yeah. That's, that's a lot of money still. That's a lot, a lot of money. <laughs> you add that <laughs> yeah. up, yeah, that's two to $300,000 you would need in today's dollars, maybe 400000 for a woman to uh, fund long-term care expenses um, if needed. Not not everybody needs right. long-term care. Yep. Only about maybe a third or less. Yeah. Um, so uh, well, That's but, a good stat yeah, for a segue on. into what we're going to be talking about. Exactly. You must that, have done that intentionally. I did. <laughs> that's right. Just to get your attention. <laughs> so you'd want to pay attention to my segment, <laughs> yeah. which is right here, how to self-fund long-term care. Because that is a lot of money and a very important topic to all of us that are getting older. Um, so, uh, but yeah, this is based on an article from Christine Benz from Morningstar Inc., uh, which was published in Bottom Line Inc. here very recently. But Zach, I mean, it seems like kind of fanciful to think that you could fully fund long-term care expenses, given those numbers we just yeah, talked right. about, out of your own savings, um, if you don't already have some huge excess. But you know that's not really true. Giving some good, t- giving some time on your side, some time to prepare, and some good planning. Um, yeah, the price of long-term care is staggeringly high, and it is steadily increasing. But despite that, you know, for some people, the best option for financing these, you know, future bills might be just doing it out of your pocket. Sure. Um, yeah, the average cost, as we just talked about, over one hundred eight thousand dollars per year, uh, according to Genworth. And, um, you know, it's a painful fact all too well that I, I really know because my mom is in a nursing home right now. Yeah, right. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's actually a little more than that for hers. Um, so as expensive as it might sound though, um, it's likely to continue to go up, you know, at the same rapid pace. I mean, Genworth expects the price tag to be about $150,000 a year in 10 years and over $200,000 in 20 years. So those are big numbers. That's, that's a lot. Those are the, that, the bigger numbers are the ones that I'd have to worry about. I'm afraid so. Yeah. So, you know, and you look at these figures and it leaves many people wondering, you know, how am I ever going to pay for these prices? And so many people have decided that, you know, getting long-term care insurance is not really the answer. You know, sales of those policies have plummeted in recent years with consumers scared off by the steep prices and really the sector's history of springing steep and unexpected premium increases on existing policyholders every few years, which I think we were discussing in a meeting with a, a client recently. Hybrid policies that combine elements of life insurance and long-term care coverage have become somewhat more popular, but still really only a, f- a fraction of people in or approaching retirement have purchased these policies, and they really aren't a great bargain either when you dig into the details of them. The other option is Medicaid, and that's another you know way to, to finance your long-term care, but it's by no means appealing because it really requires you to spend down virtually all your assets in order to um, be uh, to qualify for that, and they, the government essentially makes you living, live in poverty in order to get that. So that's really not a viable answer right. either. So right. what... What's some options we have? That's exactly right. Yeah. So, so really, the only you know one you haven't mentioned, um, the main option that remains is to save enough money to pay for future long-term care bills out of your own pocket. Um, yeah. And you know it's a viable strategy for many Americans 
despite the daunting cost that we just talked about um, of care. And uh, so here's how to make that work. Um, we're going to talk about some strategies for that. Um, but the conventional wisdom about self-funding long-term care policies holds that, you know, if a retiree has a nest egg of around $2 million or more, his or her savings should be sufficient for that to support that strategy. And he really didn't have to save anymore, right? That'll come out of your retirement mm-hmm. savings. But that's not necessarily true. I mean, if you enter retirement with a nest egg of $2 million, for example, but you spend $100,000 a year year out of your investments, then you could easily end up without enough assets to pay long-term care bills Mm -hmm. when the time comes. And that's because you'd be withdrawing 5% a year, and at that rate, you you could potentially spend it down um, if it doesn't perform very well. So... Yeah, and, and and so in order to self-fund this long-term care option, you likely need a nest egg of, of seven, seven figures or more and be able to pay your bills through age 90. I think that's a good to a, a age to plan for. And then still have substantial surplus of several hundred thousand to comfortably pay for most um, long-term care expenses. So, you know, a retirement calculator, you can find several of them online, can really help you do this math to see what you'll need. But I think it's a good practice to do just to see... Yeah, what that what that number would look like for you? Yeah, absolutely. So, so how much would you need to set aside um, for long term care? Um, well, for most retirees, you know, it isn't feasible to prepare for long term care. Kind of the worst case scenario, like a diagnosis of dementia that right. leads to a decade plus nursing home stay. Yep. You know, that could easily produce like a million dollars to two million or more. Sure, you know, maybe yeah. In, in long-term care expenses, um, you know, a married couple would have to plan for that possibility for both spouses um, for for such an extended care. Of course, you know, that's highly un- that's a highly unlikely scenario. Right. So you kind of have to put that scenario aside for planning purposes. You really yeah. can't plan for that. Um, right. So a more realistic, realistic savings target would be, um, you know, an amount needed to pay for nursing home stay for men the average is 2.2 years, as we mentioned, and then for women, 3.7 years. And so nursing home costs currently are just north of $100,000. Mm-hmm. Um, they are climbing. Um, but it's reasonable, you know, for an individual, if you set aside, say, $300,000 for long-term care expenses, um, you know, for a couple, it'd be twice that amount. That would be about what you would need. Um you know, that still sounds like a, a daunting amount of money to set aside sure, for long-term yeah. care, you know, that might never be needed. So, you know, let's don't look at this just as money for long-term care cost. Um, it really serves three worthy purposes, you know, paying for long-term care costs. Right. Um, you know, if you do, in fact, require a nursing home is certainly one of those um, and foremost. But then also it's a hedge against longevity risk. You know, mm-hmm. so if you, if you, uh, to make sure that you don't live out your, you know, outlive your money, um, it provides some security against that. And, you know, if the money isn't needed for either of those possibilities, uh, it would leave a legacy for your heirs or for your favorite charity. So it's money can be left to your kids or to charity. So, you know, having that extra money set aside, right. Can serve more and than I feel like most people want to have something left over to, to give to their kids. And if you don't have that because of your long-term care needs, I don't think the, I mean, the kids should understand that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, They're not going to plan on it. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, other things to keep in mind are, are 
that affect costs are, are like where you live. So the cost of a long-term care is dramatically higher in expensive coastal regions than in many middle American locales. So um, for example, if you look at a private room in a nursing home in Missouri, that's about $71,000 a year. But in Connecticut, that's $182,000 a year, so more than double. Um, also, consider your family history and personal health history, which is another important factor. If you or your spouse have been diagnosed with dementia, as you're mentioning, Steve, or have a family history of it, then significantly, significantly more long-term care savings are probably warranted, as, as you mentioned. Right. That's exactly right. So, you know, of course, if your long-term care savings target is based on the average stay in a nursing home, you know, there's a reasonable chance that your long-term care bills might exceed those those mm-hmm. savings. Um, so having an emergency backup plan in mind in case that occurs is a good idea, you know, such as tapping your home equity, for instance. Sure. You know, that could be done by selling your home, um, taking out a reverse mortgage, or taking out a home equity line of credit. Mm-hmm. Um, so many retirees, you know, they don't want to take out, you know, they don't want to sell their home. They don't want to take equity out of their homes. But, you know, having an emergency backup plans aren't about what we want. You know, it's about making do in difficult circumstances. Right. But that, So that can be a viable backup plan. Another backup plan is to spend down assets to qualify for Medicaid or VA benefits mm-hmm. for retired military, um, their aid and assistance benefits. Um, you know, those government programs pay long-term care bills um, only for applicants who have extremely limited assets. Right. So, so yeah, so it, it makes it unappealing. Um, you would have to, you know, spin your assets all the way down right. in order to qualify that. But for an emergency situation, you know, for a yeah. backup plan, it, it, it might be it, reasonable. And we hear that a lot to try and qualify for Medicaid that way. But I think the process of saving, being prudent with your savings, planning is a much more enjoyable process than liquidating your your savings just to apply for this benefit, which is not the most comfortable benefit either. You don't have choice. You don't have options. You don't really get to pick. You have to, you have to do with what they give you. And so, yeah, being prudent, saving, planning is just a much more comfortable process overall. It is, it is. And it's, and it's, I think it's better too than trying to give away all your assets, trying to get right. out of your state yeah. five years before you qualify for yeah. long-term care benefits. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think savings really is the way to do it if it's at all possible. Right. You know, exactly. Um, and family provided care is another option. You know, I mean, of course, no one wants to be a burden, you know, to their spouse or their, their um, children, but seeking, you know, family assistance can dramatically reduce the number of years that you spend paying for long-term care. You know, spouses are usually the major provider of care and are often the first line of defense for individuals with long-term care needs. Um, But, you know, someone who's diagnosed with dementia might live with loved ones for as long as possible before moving into a nursing home, um, for example. You know, such arrangements are extremely common. 83% of assistance provided to older adults in the U.S. comes from family members or friends or other unpaid caregivers, according to the Alzheimer's Association. So, you know, that is kind of the first option for care for most people. Yeah, it's just, it's not all an out-of-pocket expense. There is, it's graduated. You know, you you kind of slowly move into that as 
to the extent that you can care for your family member um, with some of these needs. So if you do decide to self-fund your long-term care, then it is critical that you get on a path to build up and retain those substantial investments now. And so one way to think about it is if you're planning for retirement, um, maybe overfund your retirement instead of thinking about 15%, which is the common percentage that people aim for, that we suggest people aim for for retirement, maybe save 20% to overfund your, your retirement nest egg. You know, plan on an excess of $200,000 in your investments, the numbers we mentioned earlier, um, and then create a withdrawal plan in retirement that is about 3.5% per year instead of the standard 4%. And if you invest well and markets perform well, then that really should leave you with a substantial cushion needed if you find yourself in a situation of needing some long-term care. Right. Yeah. Over time, that's definitely a viable yeah, If you have time on your side for that. To yeah. fund long-term care, no doubt. And, you know, our favorite way to self-fund long-term care actually is to do it through an HSA account. That's right. Um, a health savings account. Yeah, by fully funding it and then leaving it invested each and every year. Yeah. And not taking it out. And I know that sounds preposterous that you could build enough money in one of those to do that, but if you simply maxed out an HSA account every year with a family contribution, which is, what, about $7,100, something like that? I think it's, that? it's closer to... I think it's 7800 7800 today. Okay, yeah. so it goes up every year. Yeah. So, But if you did that every year for 15 years from age 50 to 65, for example, um, if you made an 8% rate of return in there, so it's invested in funds inside the HSA, then you would have north of $200,000 in this tax-free account at yeah. age 65. Now, that may not be quite enough yet, but you're only 65, right? So you give it another 10 years of growth, mm -hmm. then you are there with over $400,000 yeah. for long-term care, totally tax-free at age 75, just by funding that for 15 yeah. years. It's very, very doable. And I think the higher number I mentioned, that's if the catch-up right. concluded. Right, catch-up so, in there. Yeah, right. so that's after 55 that yep. you can do the catch-up. Yeah, so really it's you're saving well just for that 15-year period. And you've got your goal um, granted at 75. And if you need it later, 80, 85, then you're only looking better. That's uh, right, because so. it keeps growing. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So that that does it right there. So also keep in mind that, you know, these assets earmarked to pay for long-term care costs, you know, should probably be invested fairly aggressively, even during the early years of retirement, um, because, you know, you're typically not going to need those assets until around age 80 or so when mm -hmm. the average person goes into a nursing home or assisted living. Um, so someone in his late sixties probably won't need that money for more than a decade. And, right. and you know, that's usually sufficient time to ride out any stock market fluctuation um, for those, for that money that's earmarked for long-term care, you know, and those assets might be slowly transitioned into more conservative allocations comparable to other retirement assets as you approach kind of the mid seventies. Yeah. Um, so it is very doable. You can certainly fund long-term care through, um, you know, self-funding options like an HSA yeah. or even overfunding your retirement account. I think it's very doable. And, and sometimes uh, HSA, sometimes you'll have employer contributions to that, which doesn't increase the limit, but it helps get you to there, the limit. So if you're having help from an employer, that's another reason just to keep it invested or keep it in the HSA, keep it invested and just watch it grow and for your um, health needs in, in retirement. So, um, that's it for that one. That's a good one, Steve. Uh, yep. It's important to think about. And then now we have our, our question of the week. So the question this week is, can you contribute to a Roth if you have self-employment income? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, so we ought to distinguish what that means because sure. you can only contribute to a Roth with earned income. Earned income. Yep. So the question is, what is earned income? You know, well, it's certainly not passive income. It's not income nope. from yeah. like investments, um, from dividends, from Interest. you know, real estate sales or yeah. something like that. That does not count as earned income. You can't contribute to a Roth from that. Right. However, you can contribute from self-employment income. Yeah. That would be like a side business that you had, you mm -hmm. know, maybe you're, you know, maybe you're doing uh, some kind of gig gig business yeah, sure. or you're selling something, you know, have some business, but you're actually filling out Schedule C on your tax return mm -hmm. and you're reporting self-employment income. And the real key is you're paying Social Security and Medicare That's taxes key. Yeah. on good. that income. Mm -hmm. That's the trigger. That means it's earned income. And yes, if you have that kind of income, you can make a Roth contribution on that income. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, the self, the uh, Social Security and Medicare taxes, paying into those is what qualifies it for earned income. Exactly. Hmm. So, good question That's of good. the week. All right, and that leads us up to our next topic here. And speaking of taxes, why do I owe taxes this year? Six common reasons. Yeah, I mean, it seems like we get a lot of questions from we clients do. like, my goodness, I owed all this tax this year. What happened? Yeah, something I must... Yeah, a lot of times people will think they have they have the guy that just magically reduces their taxes by five thousand dollars and I'm like well and all he did was make him pay more in earlier yeah right <laughs> and it's I mean there there really is no magic formula we'll get into this um, it's just being aware of why your tax bill might increase and and just checking into it and so you know we're, Steve we're getting to the end of where you can file your taxes and realizing you owe lots of money. Um, when you get a return to the IRS is, is really one of the worst feelings in the world, especially if you planned well. You you think, hey, I'm I'm making sure I do my withholdings, and you find out you owe, owe more money. Um, it's not a great feeling, but there is something you can do, and so we'll we'll look through six reasons here um, and why it's important. to Look at those, and f hopefully for you to avoid that sinking feeling that you might have um, when you discover that that tax bill. So. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So first question is, you know, why do you owe taxes this year? I mean, at the end of the day, you know, a tax bill comes down to simple math, right? I mean, you owe more taxes than you actually had withheld or paid in throughout yeah. the year. Right. Um, and that's simply it. You know, if you owe more than you paid in, then you're going to owe at the end of the year whenever you file your taxes. And that usually means you didn't withhold enough, you know, from your from your paycheck or maybe you didn't pay enough estimated taxes. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of the short of it, um, you know, but figuring out exactly why you ended up owing Uncle Sam, you know, at tax filing time is a little more complicated. So here are seven reasons why you might owe taxes. Yeah. So the first one you briefly mentioned it is check your tax withholding. You know, one of the biggest culprits in a larger than normal ta uh, tax bill is your tax withholding is off. If you got a new job this year, uh, your employer probably had you fill out something called the W-4, which is a tax form that determines how much money your employer will withhold from your paycheck for taxes. And so to help your employer get more of an accurate idea of just how much to withhold each pay on each paycheck, you report the following on the W-4. The form asks you about your tax filing status, who in your household is working, uh, if you have children or other dependents, and then any other adjustments you want uh, might want to make. And so if, if you're new to a job or if you've been in a job for a while, it might be good to check your W-4 form to get uh, your tax withholding closer to where it needs to be. Um, and I've had you know several clients ask this, why do I owe much in, that much in taxes? And sometimes it's, they just hadn't adjusted the withholding and now right. they're making right. you know from when they started double the income 
and they're in a different tax bracket. So right. there's a reason why they have such a big tax bill. So yeah, with yeah. check your withholding. That's I think the first tip. Exactly. Yeah, and I see this with pastors a lot in our church, particularly because it, you know, they're they're paying all of their Social Security and Medicare taxes themselves mm-hmm. so they can't just hold a, a they just can't just follow the formula you know they right. have to put in some kind of dollar amount and if they don't change that every single year when they get a bump up in their income then they're not withholding enough yeah so yeah you have to fill out that w4 yeah. every year mm-hmm. you know for some people yep to get that right we, we so, also see that in pensions too right. uh, making sure you fill out for your pension because that is like you getting income yeah and if you don't fill that out then then you're going to be taxed on that, and it will be kind of a surprise bill. Yeah, if you're retired, you need to be withholding probably from your pension mm-hmm. and your Social Security right. to make yeah. sure you have enough going in so you don't owe taxes in the year. That's so, right. Good point. Yeah, the next one here is, you know, owe taxes on self-employment income. Yeah, this is a big one that really bites people. I mean, you know, maybe you started a new side hustle to earn some extra cash or picked up some freelance work. Um, well, you know, if you work for yourself, the IRS considers you self-employed and an independent contractor. Mm-hmm. So that means you just get a 1099 MISC, you know, from your, from your employer, yep. you know, that means you're responsible for all the self-employment tax. So having a side hustle can jack up your tax situation because you don't have an employer who's withholding from your paycheck. Right. It's all on you. Um, good rule of thumb is set aside 25, 30% of every paycheck for taxes. In addition to your regular taxes, you're going to be on the hook for the self-employment tax, which is 15.3% Yeah. Um, for Social Security and Medicare. Um, that's both the employee and the employer portion of Social Security and Medicare. So not having enough taxes withheld from your paycheck is kind of on a regular basis is is usually the the big reason that people end up owing at the end of the year. But if you have self-employment income, you certainly got to start paying quarterly estimated taxes to get that money in right. there. So you don't be, you're not on the hook at the end of right. The, yeah, because that's a rude awakening. Because, yeah, you typically it seems like you're making more money throughout the year if you don't have taxes withheld because right. you're not used to. You're used to having taxes withheld. So when you get that bill or when you get that check, you're like, hey, look how much money I'm making. But it's because you're not having anything withheld. Exactly. Uh, the number, the third reason is the child tax credit uh, changed again. So if you got used to 2021, for me, I've got four children. 2021, they boosted the child tax credit, but that was just for one year. It's back to normal. And that means that it's $2,000 for each qualifying child under 17. Uh, as long as you're within the AGI thresholds, which are $200,000 for individuals, $400,000 for married filing jointly. Um, so it's back to 2000 1400 of that is um, refundable, which just means if you have a, re- a positive or if you're getting a refund on it, for, instead of 2000 1400 that can come back to you. But just look at the t- child tax credit. Don't assume 2021 numbers. Um, 2022 has different numbers. Um, the fourth reason is maybe you went through some life changes. So a big change that can really raise your tax bill is when your dependents aren't your dependents anymore. Mm. You don't get that child tax credit we talked about. Um, you're, they're grown up, they're 17 years, years or older, and you can't claim that, that child tax credit. Another big change to think of your, your tax filing status. You know, are you, are you, were you, are you filing uh, jointly? Are you not filing jointly anymore? That can really um, change your tax situation drastically as well. So absolutely. Yeah. Those are good reasons. And another one here is, you know, you're in a higher tax bracket. Um, 
you know, higher tax brackets are an overall good thing, right? Because yep. you're making more income. But with the higher bracket comes less, uh, becomes more money to the government, more taxes, right? So um, and that sometimes means that you won't, you'll no longer qualify for certain credits and start to qualify for additional taxes like Medicare's 3.8%, you know, net investment income tax yeah. or additional tax. Mm -hmm. um, so if you find yourself making more money, you know, make sure that you adjust your withholding to match your new income level. Because once you get up in that 22% bracket and higher, then, you know, the rates go up yeah. and it's a lot more tax oh, to yeah. pay. Yep. Another one is um, you owe capital gains tax. So if you bought or sold investments for a profit um, or loss, then you're going to have to report those gains or losses on your tax return. Short-term gains on assets owned less than a year are taxed at your regular income rate, while long-term gains if they're owned more than a year, are taxed at a lower rate. And in fact, can be tax-free if you're in a 12% bracket. Um, so, you know, which is more favorable rate overall, you know, is obviously the lower rates, but still you're going to be taxed on that depending on what bracket you're in. So if you, um, if you, if you sold some assets, you sold a house or something big like that, then you really need to make quarterly estimated payments to make sure you get that money in and you don't have this nasty surprise at the end of the year. That's right. That's right. So you're in a situation you, you owe taxes. What do you do? And there are, there are plenty of options. But first and foremost, I think it's really important that you file your taxes so you're not hit with failure to file penalties. So make sure you do that on time, which this year is April 18th. Um, and then if you owe anything on your taxes, you, you will start to owe interest. So you can either pay that in full or work at a payment plan with the IRS uh, which you can establish from their website. And then if you do owe, make sure you do adjust that W-4 uh, for next year so you don't have that same problem. That's right. Just adjust your withholdings. You know, figure out how much you owed this year. If you owed, you know, I don't know, if you owed $1,000, for instance, you divide that by the number of pay periods that you had mm -hmm. over the course of a year. And, you know, that additional, if it's once a month, it'd be like $83 a month extra that you're going to need coming out of your paycheck. So you adjust your W-4 you add an additional $83 you want to take out yep. um, and that would cover that thousand dollars for That's the right. year. Yeah. So. so yeah, if your if your situation is complex, you can always work, work with a tax pro, uh, but keep in mind they're booked up now or probably. So get probably. in there as early as you can to exactly. figure it out for this year and then keep all this in mind as you prepare for next year. And yeah, those are some quick reasons as to why you may owe taxes. So exactly. that's a good one from Ramsey. I didn't mention that it's from uh, Ramsey solutions, but um, yeah. yeah. That was a good one. Good timely topic here That's at right. tax season. Yeah, yeah. And that leads us up to our last thing here, and that is the prescription of the week. So a great goal for this year would be to talk to your kids about money. Um, you know, if they are young, um, then, you know, and if you, if you, you can budget, you can use envelopes. Um, but, you know, teach your children about how to save, how to invest, and how to to spend their money, you know, over time, how to use envelopes, you know, put a certain portion for giving, mm -hmm. right, maybe to the church, certain portion for fun expenses, you know, some, right. some fun built into there, and then a certain portion for long short-term goals or for long-term goals. Yeah. But teach your kids how to manage money when they're young, even with their allowance or, or with money that they earn around the house. And, um, and those that, you know, continue to progress that as they get older, um, they could even start going to like a Dave Ramsey 
yeah. financial peace university when you get older. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and, and I think an important point to this too is is letting your kids fail with their spending. I know my my son, he's old enough now to care about money. Sometimes he, he buys on the thing he most recently sees, but then I've just encouraged him, hey, if you do that, you can't get that that yeah. short-term goal you're saving for. You can't get you can't save up for that new bike. You can't save up for that thing because your money keeps going toward exactly the candy or the my son likes basketball cards. So like you keep buying those and Yeah, when Josh was really young, I let him buy Pokemon yeah, cards. Even yeah. though it was a ridiculous price yeah. for this like rare Pokemon yeah. card. It's like that probably won't be worth much in the yeah. future, son. But if you want it, you go ahead yeah. and buy and it. And it teaches them too. Yeah. Well, if I keep <laughs> buying this one thing, I can't get the thing I really want. So that's what I always try and say to my son. You, hey, bud, you really wanted this, remember? But you, so let them, if they really want to buy that little thing, let them do it because then they teach themselves the importance of saving and you're not just kind right. of, you're not only putting it on them without them understanding it. So yeah, there you go. Yeah, mistakes are the greatest teachers. That's right. Right, so there you go. All right, well, good topic. And that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Can send us your questions um, or link to us there. We'd love to hear from you. Um, or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of your week. Yeah, have a good one. Material in this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment tax or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. All hosts are representatives of Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.